Hi, this is Hubert's podcast. I'm Hubert. We are here interviewing uh, the founders of uh, Deep Haven. Um, we, Ralph and I met them at uh, Current 2023, uh, a month ago. And we were we had such a great conversation at the booth that we wanted to do it again in a real podcast and make sure everybody actually got to take part and listen to that conversation, which I think I've kind of don't remember very much so much anymore. So I, I wish we that's what I really wish that I recorded it at that desk at, at that at that booth. But um, but yeah, it was a great conversation. I want to try to uh, like kind of replicate that here. Um, we have uh, I'm going to go you know individually one by one and, and just introduce you guys uh pete um can, can you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and give us a bit introduction and maybe uh, after everybody's kind of given their intro you could go into what your motivation was to create uh, deep haven yeah sounds good and uh and it doesn't surprise me that uh you didn't remember all that conversation we tend to talk quickly and overwhelm people with information and uh and and everyone was hammered at that conference so i mean you were looking at that one, you know um, so don't worry about that. Uh, so my name is Pete Goddard. I'd also like to introduce my three dogs who are in the background because they may uh, interject with a, with some barking here and there. So I apologize for that. Uh, beforehand, I'm the, uh, 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 the founder and CEO of Deep Haven Data Labs is the full uh, name, a, uh, a company of about 50 people that is very focused on, uh, I, I think, the, the problem sets that, that you're an expert in and the use cases that yeah, you think you're thinking about, uh, you know, on these podcasts and in the book that you're writing. So it's exciting to talk to you. Thanks very much for the invitation. Awesome. Ryan. Hi, uh, I'm Ryan Cotty. Um, I'm um, one of the other founders of Deep Haven with Pete uh, and, <clears throat> and our CTO. Uh, I mostly right now leading development for our core engine and uh, the sort of the source available or open source elements of our, you know, integrations and things like that. Uh, kind of dovetailing, you know, a couple, you know, partnered with um, one of our other, one of my other partners uh, who does kind of our enterprise technology lead right now. I was uh, one of the, the first two engineers on the project a number of years ago at the company we spun out of, uh, which is a, a options market making hedge fund. Um, and so you'll, you'll see that DNA sometimes in the kind of technology we've, we've built and the, and the way we approach problems. Um, and then I'll lead to Devin. Hey, um, I am a lead developer um, on the Deep Haven community uh, core team. Um, I've kind of been with Pete um, through a variety of companies since 2010. And so I was um, at the inception of when Deep Haven was being imagined inside this financial firm that, that was mentioned earlier. So um, I've you know been with the product kind of since day one, um, been one of the heavy technical users originally. Uh, and have been a heavy contributor since. Nice. Um, so, first question: What's your inspiration? What was what was the motivation for Deep Haven? Yeah. So it's uh, so Deep Haven is very unusual, I think, relative to the you know its peer group in the data software infrastructure industry. Um, I think indirectly, everyone wants to solve similar problems and maybe get to the end game, but Deep Haven was originally founded for the uh, the simplest of reasons in that the company where it was started wanted to make more money. Um, so uh, there's a company I founded with a few other partners um, 
back in 2004, 2005 called uh, Walleye Capital. Walleye Capital started out as an option market maker, which means that it was a certain type of trading firm, a high frequency trading firm, which I know um, mm -hmm. some people will uh, not love that phrase, but it happened to be the business it was in. Um, in 2011, 2012, the partners and I decided that we uh, wanted to uh, monetize the technology and quantitative talent at the firm uh, in other ways. So it's to diversify our capabilities away from only a particular type of trading. We wanted to start a more uh, a platform hedge fund, which meant lots of people doing lots of stuff in the capital markets um, rather than only focusing on one thing. Um, so to facilitate that, we needed a data system that would be just excellent from a general purpose point of view. Um, you know, excellent really just meant everyone at the firm should feel empowered when they used it. And we felt like we had a few different types of people. One, two, uh, it needed to be able to handle capital markets for at a global scale in, uh, which is, you know, quite a bit of data and derivatives is about a thousand times the size of stock or futures data set. So it needed to really be handled pretty good size. Um, and then it needed to be very good with real time and, uh, historical data. The historical data was our word for batch. So we looked out in the marketplace to see, well, certainly somebody has a data system we can license or use or rent or buy. And uh, and it turned out actually no one did, no one checked those boxes. So um, this is, you know, 2011, 2012, different state than today. Um, but the interesting thing is we actually don't think that that has changed very much, surprisingly, over the last uh, 10 years. And I think that's what we're gonna talk about today. So. Uh, Ryan and uh, another uh, engineer um, did a lot of thinking and tried to figure out, well, could we maybe create the data system that we need? And um, and the origin story started then. They uh, did some hard work. Uh, they you know built a nub of a system, a prototype, and then over time it turned into a production system within a year. Um, it was just there and people could use it or not. And over time, uh, almost all workloads that were not sub millisecond in terms of latency. So think of like soft real time all the way through big historical queries, all the way through, you know, back office T plus one stuff um, started to migrate to this system. So in 2017, Ryan and at that time, Devin and others and I, uh, uh, as well as the partners of the firm thought, you know, two things. One, wow, this thing's pretty cool and maybe other people in the capital markets, but more importantly, other companies in all industries would be interested in this. Um, and then two, you know, looking from the company's perspective, this thing's gonna move a lot and it would be great technology is better developed in a mutualized fashion where you have a company that has lots of customers paying for its development rather than a single company paying for its R&D. So, so we spun it out in, uh, 2017. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, uh, been servicing a series of customers. We can talk about that. Um, and we've had an interesting journey since then, which is mostly related to R and D in the pursuit of product market fit an internal product and an external product are two very different things, as you can imagine. And the data software industry hasn't stopped moving since we founded this company. So we've been, uh, uh, innovating in a number of dimensions. So it's been a very fun ride and we're anxious uh, to talk to you about, uh, you know, the, the very different way that we approach these problems relative to 
the, our contemplated peer group and you know how exciting it is we think to be involved in in the cutting edge of this industry um so ralph and i are writing a book called streaming databases and we approached you i think we met you at a coffee line um and uh i i believe i told you what we were writing this book and you said hey come come see us at, at our booth and then we subsequently i already saw ralph there talking to you guys um <laughs> Uh, so, in in a few lines, tell tell us what Deep Haven is. How 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 what is special about it, as far as like other compared to other stream processing tools yep. today. So the so uh, there's a few things. First, from a company perspective. Uh, because like we're not run by by people you know by somebody that's in the data software space, like that's not where I grew up. So we tend to think of data software exclusively from business users point of view. Business users are a full team. They are the data, de data developers, data engineers, data scientists, ML, AI, analysts, all of that is on the team, but we tend to view data software problems related to the whole team. Whereas even at Confluent at the, or at that Kafka summit, we were shocked by seemingly the lack of focus on users beyond the, the pipeline engineers is what I'll call them. The, you know, the, the in, at, at Kafka summit, it was the ETL, the real-time ETL people. Um, so I think that's one big difference. The other is I, you know, what I'd love to try and do is introduce new language um, to both of you, because uh, before we got on the hot mic here, um, Ralph was talking about streaming databases and mentioning things like Materialize and Rising Wave and, and others. I don't want to hold off others, but I'll just keep moving on. As well as he discussed stream processes, right, or stream processing. Um, and obviously at the Kafka Summit, uh, like, you know, there was a lot of talk of Flink, right, as the winning, uh, I think the phrase everyone loved was, it's the de facto standard already. <laughs> a little surprising to us to hear that, wow, <laughs> we didn't know that. Okay, now now we we heard it a lot, so I guess we know. But, you know, other things like uh, Pathway and, you know, other stream processors, there's a stream processor at KDBKX, which comes from our industry. Um, so both those types of utilities are, or both those types of systems are great. Um, and you, uh, Hugh, Hugh just said something about uh, event stream, you know, event streaming and Kafka. We see that as different. Let's just leave that outside of the conversation. We see that as transport. So you have streaming databases and you have stream processors. And, and we want to, we, our customers know that we are emphatically neither of those because um, neither of those are sufficient. Okay, uh, what we are is a full live data stack. Okay, we tend to use the word live data because it means something to humans, not just to data developers. Um, certainly real-time data is part of live data. Um, as soon as you say the word real-time though, people freak out about what latency you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And we think that that is largely a distraction. We're happy to have that conversation. But we think that's largely a distraction at a fundamental level. And we also think in live data is historical data, batch data, static data, right? So we think in terms of we are a system for addressing live data, okay? Uh, 
And that means that we do compete and, and with those engines that are streaming database engines, and we compete with those engines that are stream processing engines. Mm -hmm. We think at a core level, we certainly cover everything that they cover. But the difference is we actually, as our core unit, we create and we work on something called a live data frame, which means that, you know, concepts of a table are really important, but also the structure of that table, the, uh, you know, the, the um, you know, the data frame aspect of that table, not just the database aspect of that table are very, very important to us. And the reason we open sourced this uh, a few years ago and made all of our our engine and our APIs and our web interfaces and our user experiences, the reason we made all of this open source is because we deeply believe this is an important concept for the rest of the industry to understand. Uh, one of the complaints, and then I'll stop talking GSP, stop. Um, <laughs> when I go out to Silicon Valley, uh, here's something I hear. They say, yeah, like event streams are awesome. They're fantastic. Like, <laughs> like it's like the next big thing, but it was the next big thing five years ago and four years ago and three years ago. What's going on? Why isn't it huge? Yep. And the reality is it's not huge is because um, the wrong it, people are not embracing the right core technology and the right core technology is a live data frame because a live data frame is a data frame. Everybody understands what it is. It's composable, just like other data frames. Composability is huge. It, it can interoperate with all of those amazing libraries out there that expect data frames and arrays, right? So all sorts of interoperability. And because we've been working on this for a very long time, we've plumbed it through gRPC APIs and the Aero Flight World. We've plumbed it through you know, web interfaces and live dashboards and all these things that would be very, very hard to do if you're working only with event streams. Um, so we are a live data stack from the lowest levels through the highest levels delivered to the world in open, largely open community, modular fashion. So pick and choose what you want to do. Um, and the live data stack is served by live data frames, which are very, very complementary to event streams and certainly Hooking up event streams is a great way to go to get started. Um, mm -hmm. Live data frames offers massive opportunities and you know capabilities and and frankly ease of use that is really really huge. Because if the live so if the live world is going to be a big deal, it's got to be easy. It's not easy today, fellas. But with Deep Haven, we think it is easy. And in our opinion, the dichotomy of batch and streaming is just a laughable break in the world. It's not human. It's not the real world. <laughs> it's not, it's like artificial. We know that it's, <laughs> it's wrong because it's not simple. It's like data is data and the world turns and make it all work, dude. You know, just make it all work. Not don't try and figure out how do I, which do I have it over there? Do I have it over here? How do I get them to talk to each other? How do I get them to play well together? Like it's live mm -hmm. data that includes all of history. That includes now, and it includes now, and it includes now, right? And so that's <laughs> organized. And cool. now I'm done talking. I'm gonna go play with my dogs, Ryan and uh, Devin. Yeah, maybe you need a little some water <laughs> or something. Uh, so, so, I'll, so I'll ask this question of uh, of Ryan and and Devin then. 
So if you're a complete like live data stack, as you say, um, is there, do you have your own like Kafka streaming, streaming processor that you've implemented or are you, can you use Kafka or, or is there, is one of those platforms in there for you to use already? Yeah, yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll take the first shot. I, I think we integrate with a lot of complementary technologies. Uh, we can both ingest data from Kafka and exhaust data from Kafka. That's been one of my recent pushes in the last couple of months. Um, uh, you, you know, we like to be agnostic as to where the data comes from. We've got great integrations with Kafka, let's say, and in one of the efforts I'm pushing right now is is trying to make that even easier for developers to ingest data, whether it's via a WebSocket, whether it's via our client APIs, um, whether you want to generate random data in process and push it out as a live uh, data frame. So, um, you know, Kafka is a great transport technology, a great event streaming um, uh, 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 technology. And I think there's really, really interesting spaces for firms who are already deep into the Kafka world uh, to easily bring in Deep Haven and see immediate value on top of their Kafka um, their Kafka clusters. Um, I have a lot more questions based on what you just said, but I want to kind of get, I want to go breadth first instead of depth first. So, um, so in a live data stack, you're going to have, again, either a Kafka or integrate with Kafka, that, that, that ability, but you're, you're going to have to have a database as well. Right. So tell me what the database looks like. Uh, so, so actually, um, General speaking, at least, our, sorry, I've got a fire truck driving by. I'm in New York City, so um, that just happens sometimes. I hope you guys aren't picking it up, but I, I'm slightly distracted by it. Um, so to be clear, so Kafka is one of the things we get integrate with, and it's a perfectly nice sort of streaming data source for us uh, and streaming data sync for us, but it's it's hardly our, our, our only integration or our cheapest, right? I mean, we have at some of our enterprise customers, they'll use Kafka or Solace or similar um, streaming sources as a source of data, um, but they, they, they often use other things as well, right? So um, we comfortably can interact with with, with databases as well. Uh, either we can sit on a, uh, on a CDC stream, either through the BVM or through other technologies uh, to, to get changing data in, or we can obviously compete, can consume data that is just strictly static, um, you know, using JDBC or ODBC or ADBC, which is sort of the arrow, arrow flight SQL yeah, it's, it's got to be a cool technology just in terms of moving data more efficiently for columnar databases to understand or columnar query engines to understand, uh, which, um, I, you know, Pete didn't use the word columns any, any, anywhere in his, his uh, discussion because he was focused more on sort of the, the business of things. But, um, you know, one thing that's worth pointing out here is that our query engine is entirely columnar in terms of how it processes data which makes for, um, you know, radically different um, throughput for a lot of operations. Uh, so, you know, when, we, when we're pulling in data from Kafka, for example, right, we're, we're actually going to columnarize that data in memory initially before we operate on it, right? And from there, we might we might write down, write down just simple aggregated result sets, or we might write, write down the entire ingested stream of data in a columnar fashion in memory, kind of depending on the use case and the problem size and so on and so forth for the users, right? Um, you know, as part of our, our enterprise product, which is basically a, sort of our, our core core sorts of available product plus some, some sort of, uh, you know, let's call it additional services, right? We do offer um, not so much a database, but a, a data store, right? A, a partitioned 
a hierarchically partitioned uh, data store consisting of dependently columnarized persistent pieces, right? Uh, that allow us to kind of vastly fan out uh, the, the the impact of data ingestion, right? So we'll have a we have a data import server that that will will sit there at sort of a, at the hub of multiple Kafka streams, our own binary logging protocol, Solace, whatever else a user wants, ingest data, you know, again in this in this columnar hierarchically partitioned format, and make that available for you know often enormous uh, worker pools, right? So you know if you're talking, you know, some of our customers have that thousands or tens of thousands of live persistent queries, we call them, that are subscribing to data from a data import server, usually only a handful of them, frankly, because they're relatively uh, robust components that can scale up pretty well. Um, listening to changes to data, like look, being, being aware of data that, that has changed and fetching um, just the parts that they need to satisfy their queries and maintain their in-memory state, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, again, yeah, a columnar query engine, right? So yeah. go ahead, Pete. One sec, I'm just going to slow us down a little bit. Um, okay. So just in regards, just all of that's right. And that is you're starting to get into other parts of our stack and that's fantastic. Um, I think you just in regards to your database question, if you think of a single worker, right? So you think of a little, so go out on, go to uh, just Google GitHub, uh, Deephaven Data Labs and the first pin project will be Deephaven Core, which is our engine. So that is, we think of the stack having six, components, modular components, uh, the, the, the number two one, the, the second the, from the bottom is the engine. Um, for if you're for a simple use case, it will be the, the first from the bottom because you don't care about distribution. So in that engine, you're going to, let's say classic, you'll hook up Kafka or maybe you'll just like hook it up to the, uh, I don't know, Confluent Cloud and you'll be able to inherit topics. That's, so that's where you're getting your streaming. Okay. You'll uh, hook up, uh, you'll understand how to access Snowflake using ODBC or ADBC. Again, we think ADBC is pretty cool, right? Or, but then you'll also have available uh, a data lake, we think is a very good idea, both from a writing and reading. So you use the word database, but everyone uses different terms here. So mm -hmm. we also think having a data lake is a good idea. Um, we think there's lots of data lakes. We interact with a bunch of them, but um, the one that seems to be the winner is the one we also like the best, which is, hey, I have a lot of parquet files. I have those parquet files, you know, uh, organized with Iceberg as well. I mean, mm -hmm. you could have Delta Lake, you could have something else or Hootie or something, but uh, it seems like Iceberg's the winner. And now all of a sudden, like, uh, you've got data from, a, and, and then let's say you could get data from, I don't know, Apache Arrow via Arrow Flight, right? Like in memory, you could also get from Pandas or something like that. So mm -hmm. in memory data, on disk data, database data, streaming data, bring them all in, do stuff to them. Um, right. I, I think my question was more like, where can you source data from, but more about where do you put it when you source it? Yeah. So, so then it's as Ryan sort of described for streaming data. Okay. Mm -hmm. For streaming data, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to say, thanks, event stream from the outside. Thanks, key value pair from the outside. Uh, we're going to turn you into a live data frame. That is always the first thing we're going to do. We are going to create a structure that it is a data frame of this thing um, that, that is column oriented, as Ryan suggested. We're going to address the data also in chunks that we're super efficient about it. And if it's a stream from the outside, you can think of it as like, oh, it's a live data frame where, I don't know, rows are appending. 
and and, and then we're going to work on it from there. Okay, so yeah, so, I, so I, I think that's going to then sync either in memory to the worker mm -hmm. in the core version. That's really all that's available right now, uh, in in the and again the core source available offering, and then in our enterprise offering that will instead typically sync into like I said a persistent format that makes it very very easy to do kind of a fanned out random access data retrieval approach, right? Uh, again, that just allows our query engine to be very lazy about where we move data around, mm -hmm. um, which is part of how we can scale out to, like I said, thousands of concurrent nodes. Um, now, but just previewing, right, we've, we've been kind of kicking around the ideas of, of trying to integrate a good format, right, uh, in in our source available product or make one available, like, the, the, for example, make our, our proprietary format avail available there, right? But it, you know, somewhat maybe a more limited capacity to actually you know, serve from it, for example. Um, but or so far, we like, you're talking about for persistence. To be clear, you're yeah, for persistence, right? Because the, the, what it comes down to is there aren't good formats out there for kind of a columnar efficient append-only store or persistent store, right? There's lots of ideas we have for how to build something, but there's nothing where like this. There's, there's something out there where you're going to be able to get code off the short off the shelf in open source to read something like that, right? There's formats like Parquet. Parquet is not suitable for this, right? At least not by default out of the box because it's got a footer, right? It's not meant to be a low latency append only store, right? Um, I know that some of the guys, like I was talking to the Arroyo guys, they've got a, a solution for that. Um, it's certainly better than sort of the, the standard approach in Parquet, right? But I think there's still room there um, for, that, for that to be, you know, iterated on by the community, let's say, right? Um, and so we're kind of, you know, deciding on our end, like whether we want to spend more energy of our energy iterating on that in the open or, you know, again, kind of just keep waiting and see if there's something else that's developed and we haven't seen much progress on that so far. Yeah. Okay. And, so that's, and Hugh, what, what question for me, maybe. So that's if you um, relate your approach or your software against like existing I don't know, streaming databases, stream processing systems. So um, is, is it so two questions now. So one would be, um, are you also able to sync um, like the process data back to, for example, a Kafka? And the second oh, yeah. question would, would be, um, so basically being a, a, a stream processing piece. And the other question would be, is your um, OLAP store in a way comparable to existing like real-time OLAP systems like Pino or ClickHouse? Yeah, I, I get, so I, I we we get very I get very twitchy about the word real time um, that anyone mm -hmm. else use. I think it's a very overused term. And whenever mm -hmm. it's classic OLAP and you're micro batching, our most of our customers would not see that as real as real time. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a couple of things. Uh, first, to your question specifically, um, yes, you can you can certainly use. Haven for the use cases where you would you would typically call them stream processing. So stream mm -hmm. comes in, uh, I do stuff to it. Stream goes out. Stream goes out as Kafka. Sweet, love it. Haven is fantastic for that. Well, in, in that case, the interesting question would be um, um, how you manage to um, basically go from row-based inputs, which would be, I mean, the inputs would be messages, which yep. are per se row-based. Um, to OLAP and then back again to row-based. So how do you kind of, is that? I mean, typically problem? it's just a matter of, um, so so like our, our whole query engine makes available this concept of sort of tables and listeners, right? You know, tables mm -hmm. are the the states 
that you that you know that you arrive at as you progress through the direct states of the graph within a worker or cross workers listeners are the the links between those states the edges between those states mm -hmm. right um you know so so really it's it's very easy and we, you know we have it right out there in the, in the social available version um to, gen to to basically say look as long as my table is mod is only modifying within a certain kind of set of parameters to turn that into a Kafka stream very reasonably, right? So, because we look at it, there's basically two kinds of Kafka streams out there. There's there's event logs, right? Change, 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 or there's key value changes, uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, you can put one of those downstream of a deep haven aggregation, and it looks just fine for pushing out key value changes to Kafka, right? Uh, without mm -hmm. having to think too hard in your listener, right? It gets more complicated if you want to kind of make sort of our, our general update model available over something like Kafka, just because our general update model allows for Kind of a, a somewhat richer set of changes uh you mm -hmm. know so basically we're communicating in an addressable in a row, row addressed way right additions of new rows removals of rows modifications of rows and what we call shift so you know basically you know you're you're readdressing a range of rows right they were here and now they're here in, in the um mm -hmm. in the table or in the data frame right oh. uh and then we, you get more narrow there just trying to for optimization versus purposes telling you kind of if for the rows that are modified, which columns actually do you need to look at, right? Just trying to, you know, avoid, you know, communicating a rich enough set of data without, you know, kind of an, a massive explosion of that state downstream through the DAG so that, that things can be efficiently processed and we don't, we're not doing redundant work, right? Or yeah, I think work. you should highlight here is like, it, as we're, we're keeping track of changes, right? Uh, we're also operating on those changes, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a couple of technologies to bring in here, right? So, 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 so Flink has concepts about changes, right? But they don't have that concept of uh, the, so, but they don't have an incremental update model in the background. Materialize yeah. has this incremental update model. So do mm -hmm. we, they happen to be, okay. uh, you know, uh, um, uh, McSherry was um, from Microsoft was writing papers back in 2011. Yep or in 2012, I think, at the same mm -hmm. time uh, that we happen to be working on this independently. We don't yeah. do it quite <laughs> like them, but we share. Yeah, but no, we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we all discovered each other a few years or a few years ago, it was like, wow, this is interesting. We, we have, you know, we have some similar ideas. So uh, we think they tend to focus on the CDC land and, and SQL. And now I think they're quite focused on operational workflows. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we feel like, we are much broader um, and uh, and have a other a few different ways to interface with the table API and you know uh, uh, Java, Python, SQL, etc. Um, so, um, but I think that idea of an incremental update model is a big deal because in the background, our engine is working on deltas and it's working on deltas, not just mm -hmm. you know not just like row you know these row based deltas, but in the structure of a data frame. And okay. because you're focusing on deltas, your updates can be faster often because changes are smaller than state. Um, and oftentimes, because you're working on deltas, you can move a lot less data over the wire because mm -hmm. ways and because it's a data frame, a live data frame, right? You can also collaborate between consumers and producers in regards to how to, you know, what to move over the wire when, um, and everything can be lazy. So that's pretty exciting. And we marry that to, you asked the OLAP question before, is mm -hmm. I think yeah. <laughs> I think in regards to addressing a bunch of parquet files out there in a data lake, then yes, we have similar capabilities um, to 
to to some of the big OLAP players. Okay, um, we uh, and this is really important because two AT everything you can do with the table API if you're addressing a live data frame whether that live data frame is actually changing or not you as a user can be agnostic to it indifferent to it blind to it which means that you can write the exact same script pointing at a parquet table as you do at a kafka feed that is coming in okay um the nice the difference is oftentimes if you're pointing at a parquet table we're doing the things that you would want us to be doing this goes back to the hughes question before of like man, I hope you're not pulling that whole parquet table into memory and then working on it. No, of course, we're doing the smart things. We're using predicate pushdown. We're, you know, we're, we're using the cool capabilities that parquet makes available for what we think of as static or batch or micro batching OLAP systems. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I mean, just to interject there also, you know, as a contrast here, like a lot of systems that you're, you're dealing with in this space are in memory databases, right? They're gonna pull something like a parquet file fully into memory before they'll even look at it. Right. We're only going to read the columns and, and pages that we need to read to satisfy the query. And we're, you know, basically going to use the parquet file as sort of the, the authoritative source. So we're not going to force all that into memory and, and pin it there forever for the life of the query. Right. We're just going to look at it when we need to look at it. Obviously, we have, we have smart caches. Right. But mm -hmm. we're not, you know, you, you can work on problem sets that are much larger than the memory available. Right. Again, that's a little bit limited for some sort of some of your kind of basic out of the box streaming sources right now in the in the source available version. But uh, and again, that's why we prefer to kind of write down to a column or sync in a lot of cases, right? Um, but that's that's kind of our MO is to only have again, we, we tend to operate on typically on the memory state, but only have enough in memory state to get the job done, not more. I, um, we I look a little different that, than something. Go ahead, sorry, Kevin. Uh, I want to jump in and because I, I know the uh, Ralph has mentioned stream processor a couple of yeah. times and, and, and thought about Dpaven as acting as a stream processor. And I think one of the great things about current was we learned a lot more about Flink. Um, I, I don't remember one of the technical leads that we talked to, but he gave us a great introduction to Flink. And mm -hmm. it seems like a, a great piece of technology, um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's very different than Dpaven. And I think if we bring in that specific example and describe, you know, if we were using Dpaven for kind of the same things, uh, how would Dpaven handle it differently? And mm -hmm. the most important thing is that the Dpaven representation, you can at any time materialize the table um, data frame, the live table data frame, whereas Flink only keeps around the state to be able to process new updates downstream. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't subscribe, have a new subscriber come talk to a Flink process and get a table out of it. That, that's not how it works. You have to have, from the beginning of time, that Flink stream processor has to have written that, um, that uh, update to someplace else, and that other places needs to be able to keep that table state if you want to subscribe to it. So you know, maybe Ryan can, can elaborate on that a little bit. Um, but I think that was, um, you know, bringing in a specific stream processor might be uh, instructive in explaining. Yeah, so basically what you have is the kind of a persistence layer, which Flink doesn't have, right? Which is, I mean, for example, driven by a files or whatever. 
Yeah. So we we well, okay. So let's let's go back a couple steps, right? So, mm-hmm. um, in fairness, what Flink does do quite well is um, they have this notion of um, recording the op- operational state of different kind of nodes in in, in the mm-hmm. DAG. You might set up with Flink, right? Yeah, um, persistently, so you have like a, a kind of a checkpointed recovery mechanism. I mean, that's not something that is necessarily built into deep haven right so there are certain mm-hmm. workloads that, that that a tool like that is going to be better at i know when you need have you know kind of proper transactional uh solutions right it's not that you can't do it with deep haven but it's not there's not a lot built into deep haven to make it easy that said even with those that kind of support it's never easy right you still have to kind of you have to understand that you're transactionally at the transactionality at the edge right so you know when I talk about, for example, when we do a persistent ingest type of thing, like from Kafka, there we make that transactional in the sense that we we tie a checkpoint to where you were in the stream within the top, top partition, right? So that you can always make sure you resume and maintain exactly what's delivery to that persistent stream, right? Whereas again, once you're in sort of the live world of Dpayment, right? Typically speaking, you're you don't have necessarily that kind of boundary across recovery without adding extra, you know work yourself to say, listen to things, add checkpoints as to how you process changes and so on and so forth, and you know where to restart. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not something you can't do it with Dpayment, it's that we don't have as much support for it out of the box right now, right? Um, back to kind of the, the the sort of thing that Devin was highlighting. Again, the, 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 whole, the whole point here is that any table within Dpayment, any node in that DAG, is a is a fully materializable thing, right? We don't necessarily materialize. Remember, we, we again we keep track of just enough states so that you can materialize it. Right? Well, but but, but just you say look, that you'd just like one second, Ryan, just just to Rolf said something that I think you want to correct to make sure we get it. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. Rolf right. is saying, <laughs> oh, it's because you have persistence to something like parquet. Yeah, which that's is what I'm working on right now. Ab- yeah, yeah, not the case. Yeah. Can you just so we're not persisting our, our engine state for a particular node in the DAG automatically or anything like that, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's in memory only. Uh, the, the way to recover is to replay from a checkpoint, basically, right? And to have these kinds of things written down. Um, so, you know, there's not on the one hand that kind of frees us that frees us some burdens which makes it easier for us to do things like kind of like uh you know ja- joins without without windowing and without any worry about windowing right we, we really just we don't do windowing unless you like ask us to like we have some utilities for adding windowing if your if your mathematical computations really need windowing but it's not something that we do built into the engine as a first class consideration because we don't mm-hmm. care most of the time right Mo- most of the time we're looking to give you the right answer from the beginning of time to the to the current time based on a set of data that we know about, right? Rather than the right answer based on an assumed window, for example, right? So mm-hmm. um, that kind of solves or defers solving sort of the late arrival problems a little bit, right? But it also just says, we're always gonna give you the correct answer, uh, which is typically a lot, very valuable in a lot of the real-time systems you're dealing with. So there's no persistent engine state there, right? We have a persistence model for, again, append-only data that's really for kind of, um, making external data sources more efficient mm-hmm. um to, to to act on right but uh and and kind of in some cases also for running them down in the first case because not all of them are necessarily persistent the way a kafka stream would be or a solid stream would be right uh so we have some cases where that pizza calling time i'd like to interject there yeah i think that the 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 model that needs to be embraced is you know just checking with you Rolf like this idea of a data frame yep. right, that is live okay so you 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 write scripts and programs that create a DAG 
right? Oh, I have a, I have table one equals, you know, table one is this Kafka product that's coming in in a append only fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, table two is a different Kafka topic that's coming in in a append only fashion. Table three is take table one, join it with table two with some, I don't know, relational left join or something like that, and then do an aggregation. Okay. So that, that's, I've set up a three node DAG now. Okay. And now as the world turns, some at different points, new events come in to mm -hmm. table one from Kafka feed, to, Kafka topic one and table two from Kafka topic two. And the state of table one, the state of table two, and the state of table three, which is the join of those two, and then the aggregation, all just update, okay? As, you know, increment using incremental updates, right? And maybe table four takes table one and table three, joins them together, and uh, is referencing some parquet file out there for some contextual data or something like that. And now all four, as, as the world turns and Kafka, uh, as you're inheriting new events from Kafka, all of them will just update. And, um, and this notion of the DAG can be extended, not just within this worker, um, mm -hmm. you know, but also between workers, uh, and, and, and across the network between services. So you can obviously do that by writing out Kafka and reading in Kafka at that other worker, right? That would be fine. Um, and for some use cases that is right, but we have a live data frame API that we make available. So you're sending the column oriented deltas to the data frame downstream and you can collaborate again. So the downstream consumer can say, how do I want it? It's a table so we can do random access, not just receive appends. And uh, so we support our own API for doing that live communication in live data frame type of fashion. Uh, we call that API barrage. Um, it is essentially a payload that we've uh, accommodated towards the uh, Aero, Apache Aero flight um, uh, a API. We think Apache Arrow is really interesting. We think flight is a great wire, wire protocol and we take advantage of it, uh, because of its, uh, you know, it's handle it's addressed a lot of streaming challenges. But the other thing that's nice about it is Apache Arrow flight is based on top of GRPC. We think GRPC is a fantastic, uh, uh tra core transport technology. And so, um, sorry about that. So, uh, so one can, use our APIs uh, to, to move data, to like move code and data between different nodes uh, across mm -hmm. the network, but you can also use gRPC to make those calls natively. So it's, you know, oh. there's lots of patterns there that are pretty, uh, uh, pretty cool. interesting, yeah. you know, but again, that's, you have to, you have to get this, just think of like at all times, like here's the difference between us and kind of the rest of the world. They're not really us. It's really our customers and the rest of the world. And this is again back to like this stuff has to have an easy button or it can't grow guys like for live data systems to be a big deal they have to be easy and the assumption that our users get to make from an easy perspective is like i write little scripts each one of those things i'm setting up is a take you know they'll think of it as like it's just a data frame mm -hmm. and as my source nodes give me more data or as even things change in file systems, all of my all of my data frames are right. All of my name tables are right. They're all just going to update. They're all mm -hmm. just 
always be in state that is consistent with each other and in state consistent with the source nodes or the source data that is changing right um and and that that's and and you know that's a because as ryan said you're all of them are kind of materializable at any moment so do you think the data frame stuff is basically the data frame interface is kind of the main departure from what we see with most other streaming uh, <laughs> streaming right so i think there's a couple of things that are different one is yeah the live data frame is our thing okay we don't mm -hmm. think it's a we don't think it's a small migration from the norm we think it is you know it is like oh well a tesla is just the same as like an old combustion engine right it's just it's it's just another engine oh so it's a, still a car but it's a different engine right yeah i mm -hmm. guess you know if a tesla is the same as what i was driving 20 years ago then then sure but i think one could say actually it's pretty radically different um and it enables a whole different pattern that we think is easy so it is, is easy but it's not only easy it also maps the like the intuition and the libraries that exist out there like mm -hmm. data frames and columns they're a big thing so we've got like this big ass bear hug around them rather than mm -hmm. trying to think of the world in terms of event streams we've really married these two concepts um, um so, so one thing one one analogy i sometimes use and if you'll let me indulge this is kind of a fun one i'm i'm trying to do the you know keep it out of keep us out of only the tech stuff sometimes so <laughs> one a story i sometimes when i talk about live data frames, right? Because people want to like, so, oh, it's just, I get it. It's like an event stream, but you're calling it something else. It's just not Rolf. So think of uh, like, uh, you you live over in Germany. I'll get you, uh, you uh, get all over Europe. My guess is you've been skiing once or twice before, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So, and then you've probably heard of this thing called surfing, right? I don't know if you've surfed. I mean, you don't strike me as a surfer guy, but you probably know no. surfing. Right? <laughs> so, so in 1978, a guy named Jake Burton, who surfed a lot and mm -hmm. who skied a lot, was like, man, I'd like to do those two things together. They both have great attributes. I'd love to marry them. Like, I just love to marry them. And so he invented something in the middle. Okay. God, my phone is driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> He, he invented something in the middle. That thing is, you guys all know Jake Burton. So Burton boards, he invented a snowboard, okay? He took a surfboard, he literally married it to uh, skis, and but he invented something new. And for five or six years, I've read about him, there's documentaries about him. It's like, everyone's like, oh, so it's skis, but it's like a fat and he blah. And then at some point, nobody's, oh, it's fat skis where you stand sideways. Nobody says that in 2020. <laughs> everyone's like, got it it's a snowboard those things rock and half the mountain are snowboarders right so so snowboarders are a lot like surfboards snowboards are a lot like skis but they're actually just a snowboard and when we think of live data frames yeah they're a lot like event streams and stream processing okay and they're a lot like olap systems and data frames like or like like pandas or um our data frames so it's a lot like those things it just happens to be this kick-ass thing right in the middle that gets the best attributes of both. And mm -hmm. so we're really excited because all this is open and we hope the community can be like, rather than having, you know, another stream processing engine, another stream processing engine, because instead of just adding more on those on, yeah, I'd love to. we hope that other people are like, oh, live data frames, I get it. Maybe we yeah. can 
work. Yeah, with I want to interject a little bit. There. Go ahead, sir. Sorry, you were. Oh yeah, so I, I think that's the spirit of what we're talking about here. We're we're writing a book on streaming databases, right? Yeah. And it's and uh, and what's converging together is streaming and databases. Streaming is data in motion. Databases, data in rest. Uh, streaming is uh, you know real time movement of data, while while you know uh, databases are are, are batch typically processed data. Yeah. Right? So how can we marry that together? With, with what you're trying to say is that live uh, live tables or, or live data is is all, the, everything there that all that together represents yeah, as, a, as a as a tabular structure that you could do many things with not just like query or straight uh, or or serialize it into you know yeah. or, or or write into another kafka topic it could be exposed to say you know uh, a grpc as you said yeah or, or the, the cool the, you know and again the phrase is live data frame because the data oh, frame right. matters the structural aspect of the table like what is row five like hmm. with this column like it is a data frame it has structure and the reason that's important is now all of a sudden it's like oh hold on Aren't there like ten thousand Python libraries that get kind of excited about data frames? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I, 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 sorry. So I, I do have to drop at twelve of, of a meeting. I, there's one question I want to leave. I'm gonna leave leave the recording on. Let Ralph ask the rest yeah, of the yeah. questions. Um. So I'm gonna ask this question. I'm gonna drop like a microphone drop. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, I'll 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 figure out the, the the answer to the question when I see the recording. Um. If you are both. If you could handle all these different ways of querying data and handling data, I this this whole live data frame to me is is like a, is magic <laughs> a little bit. How yeah. can we, how are you able to handle like really hard analytical queries at the same time handle you know um, uh, like row based uh, 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 row level consumption of, you know, all the how are you able to ma marry all those things together in 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 an api or or or, or perspective that is just like a data frame right so i'm going to sure. drop that i'll do the real world example right. Right. answer and then right. Right. i'll see you guys later i gotta go okay, okay. thanks for doing this so the 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 real world answer is uh we have uh 200 plus man years working at this um this is mm. a this is a and um and the other thing we have which is a extreme advantage we think in this space is we have the most sophisticated engineering teams some of the most sophisticated engineering teams in the world as our customers so it's not like Ryan, Devin, and I sit around and come up with great ideas. Um, I mean, Sometimes. I, think been, I think there's been some engineers that have done some great things, okay? But we've had customers asking us to solve real-world problems because their business users have been asking for it. And as well as their data engineers, as well as their ML scientists, as well as their, uh, you know, uh, pipeline data people, their ETL folks, right? So um, so we've been, we've been working at this for a long time and therefore it does have good range and versatility. Yeah, so so Hugh, Hubert used a, a term that really uh, resonates with me. Um, he, he talked about magic, right? So mm -hmm. obviously there's no magic here, right? You know, our query engine operates with a, a, a strict model that's, that's you know, we, we've got white papers out there on it, right? Uh, you can find them on our website, right? Um, that kind of constrains the rules it has to follow in order to guarantee consistency and implement an operation correctly, right? And obviously we, we've focused on that consistency guarantee and, and correctness mm -hmm. 
as well as performance, um, you know, as a, as a huge part, part of our engineering investment, right? So, uh, you know, this, this query engine didn't, as Pete said, it didn't come out of nowhere. We put a, a heck of a lot of work on this into this and refined yeah. it over time based on feedback from users. The thing I want to make sure, make, make, I, I want to highlight though, is that for our end users, for most of them, it feels like magic, right? Because we're, we're not, you know, Pete kind of talked about this a little bit before, but I really want to put a, like a, a kind of a heavy emphasis on it, right? We're not simply facing the data engineers and, and other folks who are responsible for kind of solving data problems at their at their co companies, right? Or at their, uh, you know, wherever they happen to be, right? Um, yes, we do serve those users and a lot of those, those tend to be our heavy power users, right? And and yes, the, the, the deepest of them get fully into the update model and they really understand how we think in our query engine and could, could, could you know, and they build tools that feel like extensions of the query engine to, to solve their needs, right? But a huge number of our users, and probably proportionally, actually, percentage-wise, like certainly the biggest set, they're end users. They're using the magic, right? They're thinking in terms of a data frame there, or they're pointing and clicking at a GUI that just happens to update for them, right? So they, they're looking at tables and looking at charts. They're composing a dashboard out of these things that are coming from one or thousands of different persistent queries of applications using DeepHaven to, to produce data to produce data sets, right? Or transform data sets. Um, and they don't have to think too much about what's behind the curtains, what's under the what's under the hood. You know, for them it feels no, I mean, like magic. That's right? So that's where the space that's is going too, but you're I think quite ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean I, th I think that that's what's missing right now in the space. Like, you know, yeah. when we were at current, not one person there had anything to do with users or was thinking about users or the only kinds of users they were thinking about were that first set, the, those data engineers that they were thinking about, right? They weren't thinking about business users. They weren't thinking about data scientists who were, who were you know, trying to solve problems yeah. for their business users. They were thinking about data engineers and, and other kind of infrastructure, data infrastructure developers, right? And again, we have worked hard to service those people. I mean, like, because that's the kind of people we are, right? We're, you know, like at least our core engine team, we're, we're, we're system developers, systems engineers. We've all solved hard data problems in our careers, right? And we use DeepAven to solve a lot of them for ourselves. Um, but we're also thinking about the other kind of user yeah. uh, and, and trying to face and that. It's, and yeah, it's I mean, not just that users can view existing dashboards or view existing tables. You can have a, a brand new user to DeepAven um, non-technical for the most part, consume existing persistent queries, existing tables, and create a new product from that. So they can say, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if I combined this data set with this data set, you know, joined on this column, sorted by, let's say, dollar volume, you know, quotes and trades, and I get this new work product and I see it as a table as an end user. And so they're able to, you know, investigate data, make new queries, make new dashboards. This is um, so. Let's just put it. Let's 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 underline this because I think this is a very very important part of the story for Deephaven. But frankly, we think it's just a very important part of the story for the live data world that yeah. we're surprised no one is talking about. So, so uh, we think uh, server side capabilities and headless apps that operate live very important incredibly important i mean i come from automated trading like that's where the that's there's big money in, in this stuff right i know like hey i'm running a natural gas pipeline and i want you know you know i want it to monitor itself uh in real time and react oh i'm working at starbucks and i want 
the recommendation algorithm and the drive-through to just work based on the inventory in the store and what this person has just ordered and what they bought before. Like all that is headless applications, right? But we also think people matter and that people want to explore data. Uh, people want to see uh, analytics uh, and people want to develop applications in iterative fashion, right? And they want to do all that. So, you know, Tableau is huge, Looker is huge, Power BI is huge. Unfortunately, the world wants to do this with live data. And, mm -hmm. um, and so we think it's very important to think of the full live stack all the way through the human interaction. So the beauty of it, Rolf, is, and, and maybe not accidental, is a data frame is a very powerful tool to support front-end interactions. Ask, ask Tableau. They rely on you know, essentially the, the view from a SQL query. That's like the core driving uh, uh, element of all of these BI tools that, out, that work out there, right? So we've taken our server side concept of the live data frame, right? I've already told you we make it work over that gRPC Apache Aeroflight API, right? Mm -hmm. And then the nice thing is we have a web framework that can also take advantage of this concept. So if you have a, uh, a web UI and a server, and they're both thinking and communicating in terms of live data frames, and you're supporting collaborations so that you can uh, do random access to the upstream live data frame that is updating your word magically in real time, mm -hmm. then you can support not only incredible grid experiences with viewports that are really quite fantastic or uh, uh, roll-ups or pivot tables or uh, expansions like that, but you can also use that as a driving component for other uh, widgets and other components, most importantly, um, uh, graphing and plotting. So for example, yep. one thing we've done pretty, uh, uh, you know, we've invested in nicely, I think, with high return is there's a library called Plotly out there. Python users love it. It relies on yeah. a data frame. It's really fantastic. They have like 300 plots. It's it's beautiful. You can do all sorts of different stuff with it. Well, we've taken their 50. They have something called Plotly Express. We've integrated with Plotly Express, and we made all of Plotly Express work with our data frames. But our data frames, wow. as you know, are live data frames, which means mm -hmm. now you have the most important part of Plotly, Plotly all working with real-time data, all updating their their plots as the server-side calculations are updating. And those server-side calculations are all updating, again, magically, as the source uh, uh, event streams are, are coming in with new, new events. So okay. again, we think all of this is very important, but uh, it, it only works because a, a live data frame is a very important construct to bring throughout that live stack. Today, we think the, I don't know, the people that seem to tell the story about live front ends are Grafana. Um, you know, we think, you know, Grafana is a great observability system. Um, and they, you know, they have all sorts of uh, smart logic for uh, working with Prometheus to handle traces and system metrics. But we think for a general purpose, live UI uh, mm -hmm. for, analytics and monitoring and interactions of all sorts. Like I want to do all sorts of stuff. I just want it to be live. Uh, we think the live data frame has to be at the center of your universe or you're going to be writing a lot of very expensive and brittle code. Yeah. 
And in a live data frame, you don't have to do that. You're just like, let me see it. Oh, let me plot it. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Let me. So the last question would be uh, about yeah, the data frames. Yeah. Why, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, um, last question would be, or one of the last questions maybe, would be about the data frames themselves. So how, um, I mean, you said you, you support Plotly. Um, what about like the position from, from your data frames to like Pandas data frame, or can you use also Matplotlib? Uh, yeah, you can use like so anything. So any of this stuff would, yeah. So anything that would expect, so, so you said three different things. So let's go mm -hmm. to the anything that expects a data frame or an array uh we can inter inter interact with very very slickly and again mm -hmm. we do this in python but we also do it natively in java and we have an alpha um ah, an alpha thing is not, not just python it's also python not java and then we have an alpha uh sql um experience that um mm -hmm. that takes that just like flink uses calcite we use calcite right so it's a it's a mm -hmm. i think uh, spark also you know uses calcite so this is pretty uh, you know, a well-trodden path that that we are also yeah. um, uh, wa walking on. If something, uh, so something like pandas, right? So they expect a data frame, or let's just say, take R as well. R expects a data frame. Um, yeah. Both of those libraries can only handle static data. So usually our, the patterns that our customers will use are two, at least from for those libraries ingesting data. So either, um, you know, they'll uh they'll get to some point and then they'll map it over to pandas or to r and then they'll work with it over in pandas or in r um and they'll use dphaven as a preprocessor um but what is often the case is people will set up uh their python application for example to um to uh do a snapshot every five minutes so i have dphaven it's all working in real time i have people that want to use pandas um, whenever they do that, you know, they want the latest, you know, we'll make sure that they get the latest every, every particular window of time or something like that. So yes, those types of conversions are, 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 you know, have paved roads, um, in the deep haven system bi-directionally as well, right? Mm -hmm. so cool. to pandas or from pandas. Um, mm -hmm. and then we've worked also pretty hard on, but peak people want to do some things in real time, even though these libraries haven't been made that way. So for example, so we have this uh, young library, it's young, man, this is where I'd love to have people come alongside us and, and, and work with us a little bit. So we have this uh, young library called Deephaven Learn. This is a, uh, 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 a gather, compute, scatter library for working with, uh, for taking Deephaven's live data frames and, uh, making them available to largely Python machine learning libraries. So think of, oh, I have PyTorch. I, I have PyTorch. I have this cool thing called Deephaven that's working live. My PyTorch is not expecting live. Deephaven Learn bridges the two so that they can. Oh, that's cool. You know, they so can, so, it's, so we don't need river, river or something in between. So you can basically directly integrate PyTorch with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, and we try and, I mean, obviously for the static data for snapshots, again, we have full OLAP, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that stuff will be very straightforward. For the real-time stuff, you'll have to have this learn library in between. Yeah. And this is this is young. It is pretty fantastic and is opening a lot of doors at an exciting time. Um, but, uh, you know, we'd love to have the community uh, come along and work with us uh, on making this very, very robust.
Okay. Because obviously there's a performance cost when you go from something that understands live data to something that only understands yeah, static yeah. data, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm going to take a snapshot, I'm going to operate on that snapshot, I'm going to ingest the results back into the snapshot, and then I can go out about my business with live data again, right? It's not it's not for free to, 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 to shift between models like that. But certainly, you know, it's the only answer if you want to bring the capabilities of other libraries to something like Deephaven, right? Because yeah. again, our, our update model is is that we think it's fantastic, but it's also radically different from what the community as a whole operates on. Even things that are, you know, real time or continuous querying, a lot of times they're competing the results from scratch on an interval or something like that. They're not they're not capable of understanding incremental changes. Or if they understand incremental changes, it's more of like a streaming model of logs of changes or logs of new rows, not mm -hmm. changes to a grid, not modifies to existing rows in the same way unless they have a key value, key to the key to them, right? Yeah. yeah, I think that's, I mean, really interesting. Also, also, it's, it's, well, I think you're on the right path. I mean, compared to, I mean, like I said, currently, you could also see that you could also see it at Kafka Summit in London before. Um, so this streaming world is still kind of closed. Um, it's very Java-ish. <laughs> it's, um, and, and, Actually, what's needed is to really bridge the gap here and, and, and build something like you have built, like which which um, combines. Uh, so Thanks. Well, we're you know we're just so excited that a lot of there's there's energy in this um, space. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're very uh, excited about what Confluence's been doing. We like that somebody's waving that that banner pretty ag aggressively. We think. You know, there's, there's yeah, so but, much but, but, but in the data software space. We want to play with all yeah. of it. You know? Yeah, the problem with the screen space that I see at the moment is that, that it's, like you said, uh, in a way, is still very focused on the on the old school streaming and stream processing. So there's um, there's few talks about Python based stuff. I mean, there's also other like vendors like like Quicks or Pathway, which um, have built something similar. They all so Quicks also has like um, Kind of live data frames now, but I think you are like, I mean, much much older. You've you've done a lot more work on the, on this already, and yeah. So I think that's it's coming. There's a lot of white wax which I which I lost, forgot. But um, the, I mean, I think what's what's still missing in the streaming world is kind of a better connection, especially towards the Python analytics machine learning world. So that's. That's still yeah. not there yet. We've built in Java, right? You know, we, we interoperate with all those tools and we have you yeah. know, Java interfaces to our query engine and so on and so forth for those advanced users. But we want to we want to also serve the Python community or the, the wider user community. And we feel like it's essential that we're, you know, yeah. extremely accessible and performed from Python. And performance is always the, the watchword when you're dealing with, you know, JNI boundaries and the guild and so on and so forth, right? But we, we invest heavily in that and we're continuing to do so. Right. So I'm, I, mean, I think one of the keys to just a mindset, right? And this is the yeah. mindset that we have, um, you know, and 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 we, we hope that others also uh, share is we all come from a uh, one team one dream uh, uh type of company where uh there were you know 100 now it's 350 people they're all you know they're all uh driven uh their work is driven by data 
but those uh, people are quite different from one another and they have different responsibilities and they're, and they, and they have different uh, preferences for tools or they have different instincts for tools. And uh, what we always had to create, it's not like we wanted to create it. We had to create it when yeah. it was first an internal product. And when we brought it to market, this is also what our customers have insisted we deliver is a tool that brings those different people together around a common platform that, oh yeah, also happens to be live. Um, and, you know, it does it in a way that doesn't sacrifice the other things they care about, like, you know, the range of the Python use cases or the capabilities of ETL robustness or the, you know, cool GUIs for uh, business people. Like they want all of those things and they want them to be performant. But the requirement was always, you know, multi-persona, not simply this type of person or that type of person. Yeah. Cool. I think it's it'd be really interesting to engage with developers who are interested in this concept of a, a live data frame API, regardless of whether they're currently working with, uh, you know, events sources whether they're currently working with data frames, but this idea of a table update model, uh, I think is really powerful. Um, yeah. and, and I'll, I'll put another plug for Barrage. That's our wire format. It's an open source format. Uh, we've mm -hmm. got some client APIs around it. Um, but regardless, you know, if, if there are Python developers that are working with data frames today and are curious, what would their system look like if it worked with live, um, you know, data frames, I, I would encourage them to look at some of the, the resources we put out there. Uh, we've got a Deep Haven community Slack channel. We're, you know, deeply technical and we answer questions in that channel and we can engage in interesting conversations with developers who are interested in these core technologies, whether it directly relates to offerings that Deep Haven has or not. Um, I mean, we've deeply thought about these problems uh, for, you know, over, uh, 12 years now um, and like Pete said there's over 200 man years built into this product and at the end of the day like I'm I'm a geeky you know developer who loves talking shop all, all the way from the low level to the high level so if you're if you're interested in live data frames or you're curious about the different products in the ecosystem I just encourage you to reach out via uh, our community Slack channel. Yeah, I will actually, because I've, I mean, I also presented the Python library, which was not about stream processing, just about like some kind of Swiss army knife. I mean, <laughs> of course, Swiss is a living there. But, um, and what I did is to integrate it with um, like Pandas data frames. But uh, as you said, I mean, they're not really usable for live updates. But I think one good idea would be to marry my tool with Payton, so to have live data frame support in there. So that, that would be something. I missed the key word, Mary. What did he pay him? His tool. I mean, my oh, tool. Yes. So it's, tool. It, yeah. it's called it's called Kafi. So K A F I, which is like, like uh, Kafka plus files. So it's it's, it's kind of a yeah. bridge building well, tool. Let's for, uh, let's, for let's talk about that offline. That'd be exciting. And yeah. if uh, yeah. if Devin's going to shout out to people, uh, then I'm going to encourage. Now I don't think any of these people are listening, but. The people that are maybe for the stream processing uh, folks that are on the line, to the extent that you have other people on your team that care about front ends, uh, man, we'd love to have conversations uh, around, um, you know, our web UI that we make available 
um, as a standalone. It happens to work really well with our API and marry well to our engine, but it's also a standalone. Um, and uh, and we've tried to deliver that in a fashion that is is valuable out of the box, but also very extendable via plugins. Um, and we have a new thing uh, in the pipeline that should arrive soon that supports programmatic layouts um, and uh, callbacks so that there's really going to be a tremendous range of capabilities. Um, you know, when you think of, oh, we'll have a bunch of components working from React Spectrum, you could add plugins to kind of do, create whatever interactive components you want. And there'll be a lot of infrastructure for laying out dashboards um, and having all these parts um, talk to each other. So uh, I don't know, some, some alert just hit some threshold. So now I want to foreground some analysis, have this whole thing filtered to different things. As I double click on this row, uh, some other you know series of live uh, analytics either kick off or get filtered down to something that I want to see. Like all of this uh, infrastructure is now in place, but we'd, you know, we'd love to have the, the stream processing person that is right next to the JavaScript uh, teammate come talk to us and see if, Hey, maybe you could just put all this together uh, cheaply, quickly uh, out in, out using our open binaries out there. But, uh, I mean, I think you were really going into the right direction. I, I, I hope that, and I think it will, so that the streaming world will also open up more towards solutions like yours. Um, more towards like the end-to-end -end thinking, not just thinking about you know the transformations and, and, yep. and data pipelines. That's that's something really important, and I think things are going this way. So there's, for example, there's uh, there's going to be support for for Iceberg um, or for Hoodie, I don't know one of the two in in Red Panda, which is one of the yeah from Confluent. We love Red Panda. Um, yeah. We know Red Yeah, Red so that so there's there's also um, Warp stream coming, which uh, might be coming. It's it's uh, another Kafka implementation, which is also trying to marry um, blob storage or yeah formats like Parquet or Hoodie or Iceberg with Kafka. So that's it is coming. But yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. that's yeah. We, how you can get a bit more famous in the space. <laughs> we probably mm -hmm. hold the view that if it's laid down in a data lake. Um, you know, it, there are many use cases where it's smart to leave it there and take advantage of, you know, the, the capabilities in Parquet and Iceberg uh, through OLAP mechanisms rather than streaming that and then working on it as a stream. We probably yeah. hope to do that a live data frame system, you know, can inherit yeah, streams the things to be streams but we love that there'd be a there'd be a really interesting conversation around all that and clearly it's use case by use case as to what makes sense as always yeah but i already like this live data frame concept so i'll have a look definitely <laughs> now we're gonna we're gonna take a look at your stuff uh too and uh we can always help you integrate and it would be uh you know it'd be fun to continue the conversation but this has been a real indulgence uh thanks for inviting Deep Haven Data Labs in to have a chat. Um, you know, it's it's it was it was fantastic to do so. Yeah, it was, was nice crazy. to meet you guys at Current, and it's, it's fantastic to kind of re, you know re-engage now. It was even even better now. <laughs> so Absolutely. thanks a lot. I'm glad you're writing that book, not me. Sounds like a tough one. Yeah. Oh no, it's okay. But it, it it's a broad space already, and and we're trying to pin down the concepts. Um, that sometimes it's not so easy. So. I mean, understanding, for example, differential data flow is like 
something which few people <laughs> actually ever fully achieved. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't call me <laughs> as one of those. We have, we have we have some concept pieces out on our doc site. Oh yeah, that, that's another there, question. There's, there's one that mm -hmm. describes the, I think we call it the update model. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look under concepts and then you look for update model, I think there's a pretty good, you know, it's it's fairly concise, but it's a nice bit of exposition around the, how the, all okay. of that I mean, again, we're, we don't do it identically to the timely data flow people, but we do share cool. uh, we do share some uh, share some core concepts together. Okay. Well, Thanks so much. Thanks so Look much. Look forward and, to uh, um, seeing you again. Cool. Okay. Thank so, you.